For the last year or so, we have been studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's hard for me to believe, maybe it's not hard for you to believe, but it's hard for me to believe that it's been a year. Uh, but last, in our, in our study of Ephesians, last week we came to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And we saw in those verses Paul's command to children that they are to obey their parents in the Lord. And we paid special attention to the reason that Paul gives for that command. We noticed that Paul tells children that they are to obey their parents because it is right for them to do so. He doesn't say that they are to obey their parents because their parents are smarter or that because their parents are wiser or that because their parents are more experienced. All those things are probably true, uh, but Paul also probably understands that children fail to recognize this. And so his reason is not that his parents are so great, so smart, so wise, but rather because it is right. Children are to obey their parents and the Lord because... It is right. Now, to be right means to be in accord with God's will. It is, it is what God has commanded. So Paul is saying that God, it is God's will for children to obey their parents. And in order to show this, in order to prove this, Paul appeals to the fifth commandment, the commandment that says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, this raises an interesting and important question. Paul's appeal to the law causes us to wonder, what is the Christian's relationship to the law? Because remember, back in Ephesians 2, Paul taught us that we have been saved by grace through faith. He, he taught us that this was not a result of our own works, but that it was simply the gift of God's grace so that no one may boast. He says something very similar in Galatians chapter 2, only there he makes it perfectly clear that the works without which we have been saved are the works of the law. He writes in Galatians chapter 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul teaches that we have been saved, that we have been justified, that we have been made right with God and forgiven of our sins and reconciled to our Father in heaven, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but that we are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Paul teaches us that all of this is true by grace, through faith, apart from works of the law. But it is not only that we have been saved without the law. Paul goes further. He even warns us against returning to the law. He, he warns us against relying on the law or endeavoring to establish our righteousness through the law. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, he writes, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you, if you rely on the law, if you seek to do the law in order to establish your righteousness before God, you bring a curse upon yourself. Because you can't do it. You can't abide by all things written in the book of the law. So to rely on the law is a dead end. It, it brings curse and not blessing. And so we are saved without the law, and we are warned against returning to the law, warned, warned against relying on the law. And yet, when Paul begins to give instruction to Christians about how they are to live the Christian life, he does not hesitate to appeal to the law. Not only here in Ephesians chapter 6, but many other places as well. In fact, the law seems to undergird almost all of the instruction for living that Paul gives to 
believers. Now, I'll admit that this can seem contradictory to some. On the one hand, Paul seems to speak against the law, and on the other hand, he, he seems to commend it. So which is it? What is the Christian's relationship to the law? This is an important question for all those who are serious about endeavoring to live as becomes the followers of Christ, as we have just heard Brian and Rebecca vow to do this morning, as those of you who are members of this church have previously taken vows to do. You have have vowed to endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. If you are going to honor that vow, then you must know how you are to relate to the law. Now, if that vow doesn't mean much to you, or if you're not terribly serious about living as a follower of Christ, then uh, you are probably not too concerned about how you are to relate to the law. It's probably not a real high priority for you. But let me add this. You are probably not a Christian either. Now, I know that may offend some of you, but if you are not at all interested in living as becomes a follower of Christ, then you have no reason to believe that you are one of His. And if that offends you, please let me know, because I would love the opportunity to talk more about it with you. But that being said, for those of you who are serious, who are striving to live as becomes the followers of Christ, then you need to know how you should be relating to the law. Is it something that you can simply disregard in favor of a, of a New Testament ethic of love? Or is it something that you must be striving to keep in order to maintain your relationship with God? Or is there a third option? In order to answer this question this morning, I want to take us to Galatians chapter 5. Turn there with me to Galatians chapter 5. In the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5, we will see two truths regarding our relationship to the law. First, we will see that we have been set free from the law as law. Second, we will see that the law is nevertheless still our guide, showing us how to live as spirit-filled, spirit-led children of God in Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, page 974 in the Pew Bibles. I will be reading verses 1 through 6 and then verses 13 through 15. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is the reading of God's Word. May He grant us His grace to understand, to receive, and to obey this portion 
of His Holy Word. As many of you know, I love to play golf. I love to, to get out on the golf course and, and to just play from dawn till dusk. Because the first time that I swung a club in my parents' yard, I've been hooked. But it's not only that I love to play golf. All my life, I have also loved to study golf. I cannot tell you how many instructional articles I have read over the years, but it's lots. And in reading all of those articles, I have learned something important about golf instruction. I've learned that you cannot just try everything you read. You can't just read a tip and immediately take it to the golf course and assume that it is going to work for you. You see, different teachers, the people who write those instruction articles, different teachers have different theories of the swing. They have different systems for teaching. Some people teach an arm swing. Some people teach a body swing. Some people teach a small muscle swing. Some people teach a big muscle swing. Some people teach a one-plane swing. Some people teach a two-plane swing. Now, you may not know what any of that means, but you can know this, that if you try everything, Every tip that you read in a golf magazine, regardless of the source, your golf game will not improve, it will suffer. Because the tips that you read coming from different teachers will contradict one another, they will negate one another, and they will actually do harm instead of helping you to get better. You have to know how to relate to the instruction from a particular teacher. For example, my swing is based on the instruction of a man named Jim Flick. He's a, he's a pretty good person to follow. He was Jack Nicholas's teacher. I learned his swing when I was very young, and I have been keeping it ever since. And therefore, I must ignore pretty much everything David Ledbetter says about the golf swing because their systems contradict. They don't work together in a very similar way. Christians need to know how to relate to the law of God, that law that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses. If they get the relationship wrong, their Christian walk will suffer. In these verses, here in Galatians chapter 5, Paul teaches us how we are to relate to the law. As I said earlier, there are really two truths here for us. The first is articulated in verses 1 through 6, and it is this, that we have been set free from the law as law. The second is articulated in verses 13 through 15, and it is this, that the law is nevertheless still our God, and we are to follow it. So let's begin with the first truth. Christians have been set free from the law as law, and therefore they must not again submit to its yoke of slavery. Now we know that the freedom that Paul is talking about here in verse 1 is freedom from the law because of what follows. Look what Paul writes beginning in verse 2. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify that any man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. It seems that there was a group that had come from Jerusalem to Galatia, and that they were now teaching the Galatian Christians that they must be circumcised in order to be right with God. Now that seems very strange to many people today. What is the big deal about circumcision? Well, you have to remember that, that circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. It was the sign that God had given to Abraham, much as uh, 
baptism today is the sign of God's promise to His people. In the Old Testament, the sign of that promise was circumcision. And so uh, circumcision was a big deal to the first century Jews. And they're teaching about circumcision, about, um, about requiring circumcision in order to be right with God. It was so powerful and persuasive that even Paul and Barnabas had been led astray for a time. We see earlier in Galatians that Paul, I mean, that Peter had even stopped eating with uncircumcised Gentiles until he was confronted by Paul. Now, what is it that these false teachers believed about circumcision? What exactly were they teaching that would lead even Paul or even Peter and, and Barnabas astray? Well, it's not that they thought there was something magical about circumcision. Rather, as I said, circumcision was a sign. It was the sign of submission to the Jewish law. It was the sign of, of submission to the Torah, that law that had been given to Israel through Moses. And so what these false teachers were teaching by requiring circumcision was that it was necessary to keep the law of Moses in order to be right with God. They may have and probably did acknowledge the necessity of Jesus' sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sins. They weren't denying that. They weren't denying that Jesus was the Lamb of God sacrificed for your sins. They were simply adding to that. The necessity of keeping the law. Yeah, sure, you get your sins forgiven through Jesus, but if you really want to be right with God, you've got to keep the law of Moses. In response to this false teaching, Paul says, you can't have it both ways. If circumcision and the law, if that's the direction that you're going to go, if you're going to, if you're going to accept circumcision, if you're going to submit to the law, then Christ is of no advantage to you. If you accept the law, then you are severing yourself from grace. If you are going to put yourself under the law, then you must observe all of it. You must keep all of it perfectly. You must establish your righteousness with God through the law. You can't have it both ways. You can't have forgiveness in Christ and righteousness through the law. This is why Paul refers to the law as a yoke of slavery. If you go with the law, you are obligated to keep all of it perfectly. And that is a yoke that none of us can bear. That is the heavy burden from which we have been set free. Paul says, listen, for freedom Christ has set you free. You have been set free from the law as law. You no longer have to work to establish your righteousness with God by keeping the law. As Christians, our righteousness is a free gift of God. It is a gift that has been purchased by Christ on the cross. That is what His death is all about. It is a, it is a death of, of sacrificial atonement, of substitutionary sacrificial atonement. He is our substitute. He, he stands in our place. He dies in our place. He purchases the gift of righteousness for us, a gift that has been given to us by grace and is received by faith alone. We do not have to establish our own righteousness through the law. We are free from the law as law. That is who we are as Christians. And so let me ask you, do you know yourself this morning to be one who has been set free from the law as the means of establishing your righteousness with God? Do you know that to be true of yourself? Now I know that there are probably not any here 
who are depending upon their keeping of the whole Jewish law for their righteousness with God. I don't think there are many here who keep kosher diets, uh, who, who remember the whole Old Testament calendar. I don't think that's going on. Most of you probably have blended clothes on this morning. You know, these, are, these are violations of the law. We are not depending upon our keeping of the whole law anymore. That's not, uh, that's not very common in our culture today. But I do think that all of us tend to rely on our keeping of what we refer to as the moral law. Those laws that have more uh, directly to do with what is right and what is wrong. So do you know yourself to be one set free not only from the laws about clothing and food and calendar, but do you know yourself to be set free even from the moral law as law, as that which you must do in order to establish your righteousness with God? If you don't know how to answer that question, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know, let me give you a few questions to uh, help you diagnose yourself. Do you have a stable, joyful assurance that you are a child of God? Or does your self-assessment vary from day to day, from week to week, depending upon how you are doing? If your assessment of your relationship to God, of whether or not you think you are a child of God, of whether you think you are right with Him, varies depending on how well you think you've kept the law that week, then it's a pretty good sign that uh, you do not know yourself, at least not fully, to be one set free from the law as law. Second question. Do you see obedience as something you must do for God in exchange for the great thing He's done for you? Is this your part of the bargain? You're sort of paying God back? Or do you see obedience as something God is doing in and for you? Do you see obedience as part of the gift that He gives you in Jesus Christ? How do you view obedience? Is it something you're giving back to God or is it something that He is giving to you? Third, when you sin... How do you mourn? Do you mourn? You should. If you don't mourn, that's a problem. But how do you mourn? Do you weep as one who has no hope? Or do you weep as one who has hope? Do you weep as one who knows the joy that David talks about when he says, Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one who God does not count his transgressions against him. Blessed is the one who God does not treat as his sins deserve. How do you mourn? Do you mourn as one in despair, without hope? Or do you mourn as one who, has the, who knows the grace of forgiveness? These, these questions help us to, to figure out how we are relating to the law. And let me tell you, if you get your relationship to the law wrong, your Christian walk will suffer. If in your subconscious mind you relate to the law as law, if in your subconscious mind you believe that you must be doing the law in order to, to establish or maintain your relationship with God, then you will tend to focus on externals rather than the weightier matters of the law as the Pharisees did. Remember what Jesus said to them? You, you, you focus on these externals. You focus on tithing, your, even your uh, garden. But you neglect mercy and, and justice and, and faithfulness. You would neglect the weightier matters of the law. You'll focus on washing your hands and, and forget about a clean heart. Not only will you focus on externals, but you will tend to be proud and you will neglect the grace of the Holy Spirit. When you're focusing on externals, you are not desperate for the grace of the Holy Spirit to daily do what you've been called 
to do. And not only will you neglect, not only be, be proud and neglectful of grace, but you will despise sinners and find it very hard to love your brother. If you get your relationship to the law wrong, the Christian life becomes nearly, not nearly, the Christian life becomes impossible. It becomes impossible for you. We must know ourselves to be set free from the law as law if we are to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. But this is not the whole story. There is a second truth here for us in these verses. The Christian is free from the law as law, but he is under the law as guide. We see this in verses 13 through 15. Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. That's what we were just talking about. Free from the law. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Why? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Paul is saying that while we are not under the law as law, while we don't have to keep it in order to to, uh, establish our righteousness with God, the law is our guide. It shows us how we are to live. It shows us how we are to walk. When we talk about walking as becomes the followers of Christ, we are talking about walking in a way that accords with the law of God. Freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ is not an opportunity to sin with impunity. It is not an opportunity to to do what we want and not worry about the consequences. Rather, freedom is an opportunity to serve others in love. We have been set free from the law that we might fulfill the law. You see, the problem was never the law. The problem was not that the law was bad, that the law was somehow corrupt. Quite the contrary. In Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us that the law is holy and righteous and good. Did you hear that? The law from which you have been set free was holy. It was righteous. It was good. The problem was not the law. The problem was that you couldn't obey it. The problem was that you were weak. The problem was that you were flesh. Paul uses that term flesh to describe sinful man apart from the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 7, he describes for us what happens when flesh whether flesh of a Christian or flesh of a non-Christian makes no difference when flesh encounters the law. In Romans chapter 7, we, we find out... Turn there with me to Romans chapter 7. Just turn there quickly. In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, we, we see what happens when flesh encounters the law. We read that we know that the law is spiritual. We just said it's good. It's of the Holy Spirit. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. When I as flesh encounter the law, I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Then he goes on again to say, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. This is what I keep on doing. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that experience where you, where you come face to face with the law and you say, yeah, this is good, this is what I want to do, until about breakfast. And then you realize, wait, the good that I want to do, I can't do. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I want to respect my husband as, as the church submits to Christ. I want to obey my parents. I want to raise my children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. All these things that we've been reading about in Ephesians, I want to do that. Yeah, it's good. I can't. In my own strength, I can't do it. That's the problem. 
That's why it's such good news to be set free from the law. If it was up to you to establish your righteousness through the law, you would be cursed. You would be doomed. You would, be, uh, you would have no hope, which is what we heard confessed this morning, without hope, save for His sovereign mercy. Left to ourselves, we cannot obey the law. Paul says this explicitly in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. It wasn't the law's fault. It was the flesh's fault. The law was weakened by the flesh, and therefore the law could not justify you. But by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We have been saved. We have been set free. We have been justified that we might fulfill the law, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law is our guide. It shows us how to live the Christian life. Now, obviously, the moral law teaches us more directly than others. Commands like do not steal or do not commit adultery, they're, they're pretty easy to translate to our culture, are they not? We, we know pretty quickly, pretty intuitively how they apply. But all of the law instructs us. All of the law teaches us how, how to live as Christians. Commands about putting a roof, uh, putting a wall on your roof don't seem real applicable to us, but they do teach us something about negligence and about dis- uh, having no concern for the good of our neighbor. Commands, Paul himself appeals to the command about not muzzling your ox to, to prove that a worker ought to participate in the fruit of his labors. All of the law teaches us. And so let me ask you, do you love the law of God? Do you meditate on it day and night, as the psalmist says? Do you study it and and store it up in your heart that you might walk in a way pleasing to God? Do you delight in it, not as as a heavy yoke, but as words of wisdom sweeter than honey? Do you ask God to give you understanding and insight? Is the law of God a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? Or are you saved by grace and therefore uninterested in the law? What is your relationship to the law? Because again, if you get this side of your relationship wrong, your Christian walk will suffer. It will look different than the one who relates to the law as law, but the one who disregards the law will not be able to walk as a Christian either. Some will just unreservedly give themselves to the indulgence of their flesh, but that, that is not the most common result in our culture today. Rather, others will uh, define their their Christianity by some vague sense of what it means to love your neighbor. But do you not know by looking at the world that we don't know what it means to love our neighbor? Those who argue for abortion, those who argue for easy divorce, those who argue for homosexual marriage, all of these people argue on the basis of love. Is it not the most loving thing? Is it not the most kind thing? Have we not proven time and again we don't know what love is? If you are to love your neighbor as yourself, you need God to tell you what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You need His law to be your guide. Here in these verses, Paul teaches us that we have been set free from the law as law on the one hand and that we are under the law as a guide on the other. 
We ought to celebrate our freedom. We ought to rejoice in it. We ought to be glad for eternity that we do not have to establish our righteousness through the law. But at the same time, we must not regard our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as a chance to sin with impunity, but rather we must see our freedom as an opportunity to do what we couldn't do before, an opportunity to fulfill the law, an opportunity to obey. We've been set free from the law that we might keep the law. Therefore, we must follow the law as a faithful and good God. That is your relationship to the law if you are one of His. And that is what this table that we are about to come to is all about. Here, in this table, we celebrate the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus' death. But here we also celebrate the nourishment that is ours to live as His children through Jesus' resurrection life. That's what we are about to do. We are about to participate in the celebration and in the actual partaking of the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace that forgives on the one hand and empowers on the other. So let us pray as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Pray with me. Father God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that it is a two-sided grace. We thank You that You have set us free on the one hand, Father, for without that freedom we would be condemned. But Father, we thank You that that is a freedom to obey to do what we previously could not do in our own strength, that we have been set free in Jesus Christ to be holy and blameless, doers of Your law. Father God, this is our hope. This is what we rejoice in. This is what we long for. And we ask that You would use this meal, even now, to strengthen us to this end. In Jesus' name, Amen.